This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 211. Uh, I am talking jewellery today with Daniel Wilcox, the co-founder of Pira Jewellery over in, well, Canada and America. And uh, I am thrilled to bring you this as a a part two of our little look at a few different fashion brands. Uh, Jewellery is something that uh, is often quite mystical and untraceable when we Uh, go to uh, buy something in that space. And uh, these guys do such a great job of uh, making sure that they provide every bit of transparency uh, and uh, ethics in the process, safety in the um, studio where they produce everything uh, for their teams because there's a lot of dodgy stuff that goes on in the making of jewellery that can endanger people who are on factory floors and in jewellery making studios Uh, and Danielle talks about all of that today. So Pyra started in uh, Vancouver in uh, Canada and their flagship store is in LA. They ship worldwide, beautiful talismans, absolutely stunning pieces and pieces of real meaning, uh, all made from, uh, you know, they have bracelets, cuffs, rings, all made from reclaimed silver, bronze and gold. And each piece is actually handcrafted in Pira's studio in Vancouver which is a striking contrast when you lift the lid. Uh, I don't know if you listened to our jewellery show that we did last year on um, on gold uh, especially, um, but there is, <laughs> there's a lot of glut in overseas factory-made mass-produced jewellery. Uh, so common, so much uh, disparity, so much injustice, and it's always wonderful to come across a brand that is doing right by people and planet uh, and reclaiming the metals that are already out there to use instead of mining more. Um, And, uh, you know, what a beautiful thing to showcase in November when you might be thinking about something special for yourself or a loved one. I'm by no means pushing you to buy anything. This is not a sponsored show. No show is sponsored, by the way, in terms of the guest themselves ever. Um, and, uh, and yet, you know, it really is such a special thing to have that, that piece of jewelry that, uh, helps make you feel more you. I I haven't owned many pieces of jewelry. I'm not huge on wearing tons and tons of it, but the pieces that I do have mean an awful lot to me and, uh, and are very, very precious to me. Um, so I hope you enjoy that deep dive that I'll kick into in just a little minute. I want to remind you that we have a show sponsor this month, Mother SPF, uh, a brand new low-tox uh, Australian-made SPF. And uh, I wanted to take you through the ingredients today. So your offer this month is free shipping, um, which is a sizable discount if you think about buying something online, which many people do these days. Um and shipping can be anywhere from sort of six to ten to fifteen bucks, depending on where you are and how far you are. So, uh, if you're buying one tube of sunscreen, then that's a really fabulous offer. So, Lotox Shipping is your code. MotherSPF.com is the website. Uh, and this SPF uh, sunscreen was founded off the back of uh, one of the founders um, finding out that her mother had been diagnosed with cancer. Uh, And that kind of helped her open her eyes, lift the lid on all the nasties that were lurking in so many mainstream skin and SPF products. Um, And then she couldn't find a mineral sunscreen she loved, so she partnered with someone uh, and then a great scientist and TGA-licensed manufacturer to bring Mother SPF to life this year. So it's a wonderful new brand and uh, I'm happy to support it. I've tried it myself. It protects very well feels lovely going on 
and I think you guys are going to love it. So a couple of the ingredients I want to talk about, um, the way the sun creation, uh, sun protection is created is non-nano zinc oxide, eco-certified. Uh, and this guy is where the magic happens, as they say. It's the safest ingredient for protecting the sun, the skin against the harmful uh, UVA, UVB rays. Uh, has other cool bonuses like uh, being compo- of being photostable, uh, possessing healing properties, reducing inflammation, and even stimulating collagen. So why not get your sun care to work for you beyond protecting you from the sun, right? Uh, and um, then you have uh, some other wonderful ingredients, uh, Australian certified organic coconut oil, Australian certified certified organic castor oil. The castor oil in this formulation stops it from being thick and greasy. Uh, It's an absolutely lovely uh, formulation, this one. And castor oil has been uh, around for hundreds of years in Western and Indian medicine, naturally containing unique uh, mixtures of triglycerides, fatty acids. Um, It makes it a champion ingredient uh, for products intended to protect the skin from harsh, dry environments, and it has anti-inflammatory properties. Uh, There's Candelia Wax, also Australian certified, uh, tocopherol, acetate, vitamin E, otherwise known as, uh, sustainably sourced, uh, really good quality ingredients. So enjoy the Mother SPF uh, sunscreen for everyone who's coming into the summer months. uh, And, uh, you know, in in Australia, we have a very harsh sun and we have a whole bunch of people with European descendancy down here uh, who just can't be out in the sun all day long, day after day without protection. I am 100% an advocate for in the safer um, and you can get an app to show you when the safer times to be out in the sun without protection are. It's usually early morning. I did so on my morning walk just today. Uh, with no sun protection on to get your vitamin D. Very important. But am I going to go out there and spend three hours in the middle of the day in the sun without protection in this country as someone with 99, what what do I have, 98.4% Northern European uh, genetics? Absolutely not. So I really do uh, love the fact that we have wonderful sunscreens today that aren't harmful and are extremely effective in their protection and feel nice to use. Let me tell you that was not the case 12 years ago, as any low toxer who's been at this for a while will attest to. Uh, The choice is much better these days, uh, and I'm thrilled that Mother SPF has joined the cause. So enjoy that and enjoy today's show with uh, Danielle Wilcox learning all about uh, ethical jewellery and how she and her partner have managed to create a truly ethical and sustainable jewellery brand. Hello, Danielle. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks. I am very excited about this chat and we have talked about ethical jewellery and jewellery supply chains and really just starting to raise awareness on where that beautiful necklace around our necks or beautiful, you know, crystals, jewels, all the things. We've talked about it before, but what I love about bringing this up another couple of years later is it's time to just remind everybody because at a time when often consumerism turns to comfort in, you know, when, when things are really difficult around and you think, oh, I can buy things and I can make myself feel better. Um, but we're angry about the state of the world. (laughs) If we are buying things that make us feel better, but continue to perpetuate injustices in the world, then we actually keep perpetuating the the very thing we wish wasn't around us right now. Yeah. And I think, this is such a, a, an important conversation to have. So to start, I would love to just ask you, what were the beginnings of, and I, I should have asked you before we hit record, Pyra? <laughs> Pyra. 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 Yeah. Um, Fabulous. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we, Wade and I started the company really uh, in a, such a tiny way, just between the two of us, we just really wanted to have our own business. We had just recently met and we were tired, already tired of working for other people. We've been, you know, doing odd jobs here and there and we'd both been to school, but didn't want to do what we went to school for. So. Oh, wow. Um, what was that out of curiosity? Yeah, I, well, I went for photography uh-huh. um, and Wade st- went for journalism. Um, and both of us, you know, came out of it feeling like we're glad we went to post-secondary, but weren't 
interested in those fields. And um, so we just wanted to have our own business. We wanted to just be our own boss and, and do our own thing. And so we started doing, making small jewelry items uh, just from our bedroom with small hand tools, like no studio at all, you know, just beading and things like that with what we could sort of figure out on our own. And then we just kept working at it and kept, we would want to learn new, we want to learn how to make something new. So we just look it up in a book because the internet didn't exist 27 yeah. years ago. Old school. Um, yeah. So it was old school. We just would go to, uh, we'd go to supply stores and say, I like this tool. What's it do? And they would explain it to us and maybe we'd buy it and take it home, fool around with it. And we just kind of learned like that. And it was so, very... But- can I ask at this point, why jewelry then? And why both of you on the same thing? That's pretty special well, I, that you landed there. Yeah. So I guess jewelry, because I had, I had always kind of made myself little pieces of jewelry, like bracelets and things. And one day I had made this bracelet and my friend said, I love that. Can you make one for me? And I said, sure. And then, and then someone else said, Oh, I want one too. Now can you make one for me? And Wade had had a business before. And he said, wait a minute, if people want you to make them a bracelet you should charge them for it you know even if you're just charging them something small for your time and so we started going to supply stores to try to buy more supplies and make different variations on those on those bracelets and we were still both working full-time like we we worked for you know a year while we had the business and um and then over time, it just got to be too much. We would take on a store, we put some things on consignment in store, and it just got to be way too much working full time. And so uh, one, like one of us quit. And then, um, you know, we felt that out, see how that feels. Okay, I think we're okay. And then the other one quit shortly after. So um, it just made sense for us both to do the same thing. We, we wanted to be together. And we, it seemed like something we could both do. So um, we, we just started that way and yeah, organically. And I, I think as a, small, as a business yeah. owner as well, I, I totally uh, get and agree with that um, waiting for those tension points where it's impossible to do both anymore to move yeah. on to that next step so that you exactly. actually, you do it smart and you don't uh, end up resenting your beautiful fledgling business because it's yeah. not, it's not <laughs> yeah. providing security yet. You got the security well, covered and you just keep building. And um, yeah, exactly. And um, you know, we didn't take on it. We didn't take on big debt. You know, we didn't take out a big bank loan or anything. We just kind of financed it ourselves and that allowed us the freedom. We didn't feel this immense pressure to pay back really in a very specific time frame you know, this big, large amount of money. So, I mean, it wasn't without its stress. It's definitely stressful when you don't have a full-time job and you need to pay rent and you've only sold, you know, so many bracelets that year or that month and you need to sell more. Um, But that was good. That was good to push us. And it definitely, um, it gave us a, a little bit of, it gave us a nudge, but not too hard. Yeah, so it was still fun. And was ethics and um sourcing of raw material really important to you at the start or was it more of an aesthetic driver to begin with and uh you know just seeing if this would work and then starting to look under the hood of where things came from well i'd say the big um i mean we were always interested in natural materials and we right away we decided we were only going to work with sterling silver we weren't going to use plating or nickel silver or anything to make it cheaper we wanted it to be a product that lasted so you know this is up you know a long time ago so there wasn't as much talk about things being sustainable or but i think it was naturally in our minds because that's just the kind of people we are we wanted it to be something that wasn't a throwaway Uh, And then also, we always knew that we wanted to make it here. We like we never thought, well, we'll get to a certain level and then we'll go overseas. Like it was just never, never even in our minds. So that that's the big way I think that we were sustainable since the beginning is that we never thought that we never thought that it was going to be that. Um, We've never even like come close to it. People would suggest that to us and we just say, no, it's not definitely not on our radar. Mm. And how many are on your team now? We have 30. Wow. 
Yeah, we have 30 in, in the studio and that's, uh, you know, all, all types of people from sales to soldering, you know, we, and we have a, a flagship store in LA where we have a couple staff there. Um, and uh, yeah, and so that includes Wade and I, you know, now it feels so weird to talk about how many we have in the studio because it's not really like that these days. We're all work from home if we yeah, can. Yeah, of course. Or, no, we're trying to keep as many people out as we can to make our space um, safer. Um, and it's really forced us to, to you know, this whole uh, situation has really forced us to take a look at what's important to us, how, how we're structuring jobs and workspaces. And it's interesting. It's, it is. It's a giant reevaluation of the world. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that's led to yeah, it's led to more sustainability just because we've had to look at it closer. Mm. Mm. So that's, you know. A small silver that. lining. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> small, <I want. laughs> Teeny exactly. tiny, but it's there. <laughs> it's really small. Yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. Right, if I, we yeah. can. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So talk me through the journey of starting to research uh, the jewelry industry, uh, metals, stones, mining, manufacture. Yeah. Uh, it yeah. made you think, oh my gosh, like we've really got to look at this. Yeah. So, um, I mean, right away when we started doing, um, when we went, started going away from beading and going toward casting. And um, can you explain the difference for the non-jewelers? So, so like which is probably about 98% yeah, okay, of people yeah. so <laughs> so a lot of jewelry makers start out doing things that they can just do with hand tools wire beads wrapping um, non no heat soldering or anything like no joins of gotcha metals together you know basically you're just doing something you could essentially do it at a at a kitchen table and then at some point most jewelry, like home taught or whatever self-taught jewelry people, which we are, Wade and I never took uh, jewelry courses or classes or anything that's completely self-taught. You start to get to the point where you can only do so much now. So you need to start soldering or you need to start casting, which is you carve a, an item out of wax and then you do um, lost wax casting where you- Ah, gotcha. Metal kind of like to, the dentist so, molds the teeth before they make the brace plate, yeah. Totally. And so once you move into that phase of jewelry making, your options just explode because you can do anything you can imagine. You could carve into wax. And at, you know, at the time when we started, we were still having to hand carve a piece of wax mm -hmm. and then we would make a mold of that wax and then we could make many more. Mm -hmm. Now we can do CAD, we can do 3D printing, we can make molds. Your imagination can go even further. But even at Time. when we started we decided we were going to start casting we would go into the casters workspaces because we couldn't cast on our own it's a lot of equipment and we were just shocked right away at how um kind of cavalier they were about their own health and the health of the people that were working around them you know no masks using dangerous chemicals smoking while they were making torches and just just blew our minds oh my gosh and I, yeah and so we we would talk about it a lot like we didn't have any control over it because it's someone else's studio but when we would go in we would try to say are you sure you want to be doing this are you sure you want to be using cyanide to, to clean these <laughs> this is like and they just it was so old school right it, it to them 40 years previous these were old jewelry and they just said, that's the way we do it. Don't bug me. Like they were just very abrupt, you know? Yeah. And so I don't want to learn a new way. I'm done. No, yep. they did not want to learn. They did not want to wear masks. They did not want to change anything about what they were doing because they were comfortable. And um, it's been working for me so far. So just get out of my face, you young people who yeah. know everything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, we would talk a lot about, you know, when we have our studio, it's not going to be like that. And when we start casting, it's not going to be like that. And so we, we had plans right away of how we weren't going to follow the norm. And every time we would set up, uh, we you know eventually got our own studio. When we set up our own studio, we didn't buy all the chemicals. We would look for things that could replace those chemicals, you know, natural things, um, baking soda instead of, um, you know, a chemical to clean something. Because yeah. 
because it's always been done that way it doesn't mean you have to keep doing no oh, hello yeah 100 i mean, I mean look at yeah look at the poor uh people affected by the lead industry radium it's industry yeah. yeah so once you learn you do better um and i mean you would think yeah, but we yeah. we would try to educate these people and they just didn't want to hear it. they'd be like la, la 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 i can't hear you and there's only so much you can say to them well so you we can't just, help someone that doesn't want the help we just said when we have when we're when we're in control and when we're responsible for our employees because we also saw it as a responsibility these were these people employing other people and putting those people in danger so we said we're not going to do that we would never endanger other people to further our business so we wouldn't put ourselves we wouldn't do this in a space we were working in we're going to make sure it's safe for everybody um and we just kind of went into it with that mindset um and yeah and the more you research and the more you learn you can't unlearn that you can't as soon as we started looking into mining and how like devastating it is, we said, we can't keep doing this. We have to use re reclaimed metal and there's no shortage of it. You know, we, we could, we could get it in the beginning when we first started using it, it was more expensive, but we didn't really see it as something we could, once we knew we were like, we can't in good conscience keep using, you know, virgin metal when we know this exists and, it's just a choice we're making. So we had a hard time, um, you know, doing the things we wanted to do and trying to figure out how we were going to make it work pricing wise, because we had to charge more than people who were alongside us using the cheap and dirty way. But we just built our brand in a very conscientious, methodical way. And we always talked about that. We always talked about how we're made in Canada. We, our studio is different. We do take all these extra precautions. We do all these things that are different. And we always really encouraged our buyers and our retailers at the time. We weren't even selling to anybody at the retail level at the time. We were just selling to stores, but we would even talk to the retailers and say, you need to question the people that you're buying from. You can't just say to us, our price, your prices are too high. I can buy it for cheaper somewhere else. Yeah. Because there's a reason it's cheap. Yeah, and, there's always you know, a reason it's cheap, whether it's a pair of jeans, a T-shirt, uh, uh, a necklace. Yeah, but some people just don't want to hear it. They want to buy the cheaper thing. And we would lose, we would lose retailers sometimes. We would lose customers because they just wouldn't want to pay. And they thought that their customer wasn't sophisticated enough to understand why it would be more expensive. So we would, we would lose people sometimes. That's devastating, we isn't it? The idea that we wouldn't have the belief that a human could get their head around injustices in yeah. supply chains and yeah. rise to the task of actually. But you know, it is a complicated, um, it's a complicated idea when, when you've never learned why there's a markup like if a customer doesn't know why there's a markup on an item they think they're getting ripped off you know they think you buy it for this and then you mark it up and sell it to me for that well that's not fair but <laughs> and then it's like would understand. you like to come and pay my electricity <laughs> bill and rent here yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, you know i i i hear people you know i've heard people say in to stores before um you know that they're shocked at the difference between this whole this price and that price and if you don't have all the information that that difference could make a lot of sense but if you don't have all the information you can't really comment on that no of course it's not simple and that's what i love about what you've done is you've insisted that we actually uh educate people and we really just show them everything that is happening that's out the there and this yep. is why yeah 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 and if it's not right there in front of you as a consumer you need to you need to dig like prod and dig and ask more questions and make sure you fully understand why so that you don't walk away thinking this country, this company is just greedy, you know, or, or, you know, it's possible, I suppose it's possible. That is, that is the case. But if you don't have all the information, you don't really know. So it is uh, an up, upward, uh, an uphill climb, but. I think know, the world's it. ready to know. I think. Yeah. 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 It's an exciting time and people are starting to ask way more questions, which is also great. So great. Yeah. yeah.
And can I ask, um, when it comes to uh, in the marketplace, like how does a jeweler who wants to work with reclaimed metals find them? Like what does that marketplace look like? Well, I mean, now, now there are full supply houses that carry only reclaimed metals. Like now it's it's really just a matter of, it's just, yeah, it's just a matter of digging. But I mean, you know, you could even go for small people, like for small craftspeople who don't need a large amount of, of product. I mean, there's reclaim, reclaim metal could be as simple as buying coins that have, that are just out of circulation. You know, there are, and there's old jewelry and there's old things that are, that metal never really goes away. So you have a lot of sources depending on your need. Um, there's really no excuse now for not finding it and using it. Um, you really just need to think about what your, what your needs are and where to go to make that make sense for you. You might need a lot and you might need a more stable source or you might be able to just not worry about that and go for, go for a less stable source and get a better price. Mm. And I guess, you know, if you do seasons, something fashionable like jewelry and you do a run of a certain type of piece, then instability kind of would fuel your creative process. Like what's available now? Let's work with that. And Well, yeah. I mean, a lot of people use, there are lots of designers out there who use, um, you know, if they're not casting, um, they could use found materials and they do do short runs of things. If they've only, if they've just found, you know, a whole bunch of beads from a dead stock, you know, and they repurpose that into something, or if they've found something that isn't even a jewelry material, but they only have a hundred of it, they can make a run. You know, we don't do stuff like that because our product is fully cast and we, and so we're really just looking at raw materials, but there are so many ways now where we can make products as, as designers and manufacturers of any kind of products that use materials that are, that already exist. Yeah. Yeah, That exist and keep using them, you know, recycle them further and further. Um, so it just, you do have to be creative though. And it isn't as easy as just picking up the phone and buying it from a supplier. Yeah, of course. So, so you add to the the labor of the, the R&D kind of phase. Yeah. Well, and also when we're, when we're looking for a supply, if we want to decide we want to use um, a specific stone in a specific piece that we want to do, it does take longer to find a reputable source. And there are lots of derailments along the way. Like you think that it's a good source, you buy some, and then it turns out it's not, or it comes in at a different price. And then all of a sudden you're back to square one again. So that does happen. You know, it's frustrating, but I think we, you know, we get to, we're at the point where we would rather not bring out a design, wait another six months and get the right source for the supply. You know, we can do that because we are, our, our line, like our collection really isn't based on fashion either. So we don't dump everything each season and start afresh. You know, we add and subtract styles and our pieces are timeless. So we do have that luxury. Like, mm. And they think, are beautiful. I looked at your website and you guys are amazing. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, just our whole, like our whole philosophy of jewelry with meaning and, and integrity is just goes so well with the sustainability aspect. I mean, it, w- it would feel weird to talk about jewelry with meaning using, using materials that weren't sustainable. I mean, that mm. would <laughs> That wouldn't make sense, yeah. right? So it kind of loses the shine a little bit, pardon yeah. the pun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's so interesting, isn't it? We, like, I think about the example of uh, my first awakening around seasonality and the fact that certain foods aren't always going to be available all year round. And I had op- opened a cookbook and it was, you know, one of my favorite chefs and it was a beautiful, like, uh, pear tart. And I think it was even in a chapter titled Autumn, Right. So like, there's the clue, Alex, but no, off I go to the store in like December, which for us is the middle of summer. Right. And I'm like, um, where are the pears? (laughs) 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 Like, hello, (laughs) just like a, a spoiled, entitled, completely asleep 
person who just demanded that there be like, well, this I want to make this tart. I know. Right. And damn it, they weren't there and they weren't in the next store. And uh, it was my huge aha that made me so much more easily slip into really understanding the gifts of nature, the gifts of different things being available at different times and just honouring that instead of um, demanding this uniform, everything all the time, anytime I want way of thinking. And then when I, I remember I, opened my Young Living uh, Essential Oils account years ago now. I've been a member of them for six years or something. And I remember this oil not being in stock and it was like three months. And I was like, but this is my favourite blend. You know, so even (laughs) though I had been low tox and really mindful for a really long time, again, this uh, nature reminder came where... I then found out the company doesn't just then go to the essential oil open market, find it from anywhere, stick a label on it and, and make sure they can make everything available all the time. If it ain't theirs and done the way they want it done, it's just going to be out of stock for a while if there was a bad season. And that's just the way it goes. Right. And you know, it's so beautiful when you start to find this deeper connection to why companies do things the way they do them it tends to mirror back to why nature provides the way it does seasonally. And, uh, and it gives you a a new level of patience and acceptance, I think, um, and a deeper understanding. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fashion's the same way. I mean, having everything when you like so many offerings and so just trash the old and now we need a new thing and it's a whole new thing. Just, it's it's always made me feel kind of sick like the whole idea of fashion in especially for us in jewelry when we first started I hated having to do seasons that were managed by color and oh you can't do pink in winter and that's <laughs> like oh it was horrible I hated it I hated it and I hated the idea of we just get something that we really like and then we have to dump it and do something new you know like when we first started we were more uh, pushed by the, by the trends, by the fashion, um, just the calendar, the fashion calendar. And, and it just never sat well with me. Like I just always hated it. And I, I really like the way we're doing it now. Um, we've been doing it probably for the past 15 years with this collection is just feels so much more human. It feels more the way humans actually relate to things. And enjoy things if you like something you buy it why wouldn't you want to wear it all year round why would you I want know. to get rid of yeah Just- <laughs> um, you can't do green that was like 2019 it's like I still like green though <laughs> no you don't no you don't you don't like green Not says no <laughs> yeah. yeah it's pretty yeah. um it's very uh upsetting to yeah your, constitution or something I just feel like it's not it is right I I always found that with jeans like I have a style of jeans and I actually like a skinny jean and I've always liked a skinny jean it works on my body and um and you know because I've got curves I find tighter fitting things just work better on the bottom half and uh, and then the jean styles change, and you're like, but I look horrific and in this. And you can't find what you really like, right? <laughs> yeah. You can't find it anywhere, and you yeah. just have to sit at home with no jeans until your style comes back. <laughs> I mean, it really is laughable, isn't it? Like when you actually yeah. start to talk about some of the examples, you just yeah. think, how did we get here? Why can't yeah. people wear what they love to wear? No. No, because people, all the companies need to make money. They all need to drive everybody into this frenzy of purchasing. But yeah, I prefer to just companies do what works for them. It'd be great if you, you just knew, I'm going to go here for this. And they, these guys do this really well. And this works instead of everybody having to do the same thing all the time. Yeah. It's nuts. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is nuts. And I think uh, the B Corp certification has been really helpful in starting to dismantle some of that behaviour and culture uh, by establishing a set of values that then allows a greater freedom to work um, more deeply in nature's cycles rather than fashion cycles uh, or or consumer cycles, um, for want of a broader term 
Can you talk to me about your journey? Uh, what aspects of being a B Corp really made you guys feel drawn to that? And, um, and it's not an easy certification. How did you go in ticking all the boxes as you? No, it's, it's not easy at all. Even though um, when we first learned about it, I don't even remember who drew our eye to it the first time. But when we first investigated it, we, we realized that we were pretty close to being, to be, to being um, certifiable without doing anything. We weren't there, but we were pretty close. So I think that for us, when we read that, we, we thought, well, we don't have far to go and we want to do better anyway. So let's just make this a goal. Um, and we, we had to, you know, we had to do some, some work for sure. Um, but what's more interesting about it is that they, they require you to continuously recertify. So it's not just something that you do once and then you're like, okay, we're good now. For yeah. <laughs> I can relax have, there. Yeah. Oh, it's been a tough yeah. year, so we'll just turn a blind eye to that we don't supply need to do chain that anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so mm. they do require you to stay up and to be constantly improving, because um, it's no long. Every time we are asked to recertify, there's more that we have to do. So they're definitely raising the bar all the time, which is important. I think um, you can't. It's not good enough to just say this is the level, and then five years later, it's the same because things are changing so much and we, we need to continually be doing better. We need to, we need to have something to challenge ourselves. With. Of course. And it gives everybody a sense of purpose. And, you know, I think that humans tend to do better if you research us uh, and uh, the way our brains work and the way we respond to stimulation, we tend to do better. The harder things get, we actually get yeah. hardier <laughs> and we rise yeah. to challenges and I think that's a huge part of business ownership as well. Like, why would you not want to be a better business than you were last year? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Not just better in that you make more money, better yeah. in that just the better. Well, yeah, this is it. Not just you know, the GDP theory of growth, which yeah, is I mean, we, you know, we earned an extra 20%. Yay. Yeah, we're we are great doing business. Better. We're it's doing like, better every year. Yeah. Okay, not so, yeah. Completely not, different. Um, yeah. So we, we love it because too, because it's starting to gain more momentum and more, more people all the time know what we're talking about. When we first got certified, nobody knew. We had every time we said B Corp, we had to explain. And even then, a lot of people didn't get it even after we'd explain. We'd be like, okay, I don't really get why you're doing that, but whatever. It sounds great. Good for you. You know, so um, now when we talk about it, people get it. They've heard of other companies that have done it. You know, the numbers are, are going up and we, and we can feel like there's more of a community. Um, we feel good about being part of that group. And there's, you know, as you know, in a business, there's so many groups you can join and there's so many different vacations you can have. But I think that B Corp is a really good one. It really has um, deep roots. and they Deep require- roots and a broad brush. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. They do. They require you to do the work. Mm. Yeah. So, and how big is the B Corp business community now? Do you know? I don't know what the number is today, but they have on their site, they have, um, they have really good numbers. They have, it's really easy to, to see. And that's also super great because you don't have to be a business or be even in the business world to kind of understand what they're saying. They've broken it down. It's really digestible. Anybody can go on there and get it right away. Um, they're very uh, transparent. So, uh, yeah, it's been, we've been really happy with it. And we're going to keep, we're all obviously always going to keep doing better. Yeah. You know, and setting things can bars. I ask uh, for a couple of examples of where you guys have um, been excited to step up like you know you learn something and you find something out and you see a way to do better what what do a couple of those specifics look like for you over the past few years please um i don't know i'm i mean i really love the challenge of doing better production Mm -hmm. and you know making it better for our people and making the studio a place where people are actually comfortable they, you know, it's safe. Um, we can, we use the, all the materials that we use. We really dig down deep. So I feel like there's, 
there's a lot of, um, there's like an endless supply of ways we can improve in that, in that area. Cause mm. you can always just keep doing little bits that are better. And overall it makes such a nice difference because you see it reflected in your people all the time. Yeah. Beautiful. And so like our team coming together and working, even I had some interviews today on zoom for the production for production staff and everybody that I talked to said, and this is happening more and more as we interview, but today, all three people I interviewed said the main reason they wanted to work for us was because of our sustainability. Wow. That's special. That was so great. I mean, mm. and they, they all were very passionate. Like they all said very, like they felt very passionate and they said, this is why I got really excited. One girl said, I, I started reading more and then I got more nervous because now I really want to work for you. And, you know, she, she just said, everything I read just made me more and more excited. Like, this is what I'm really passionate about. And I always feel like I'm, I'm almost too, too into sustainability. And I, I, you know, end up working somewhere and I'm disappointed, you know, unless you go into the, a sustainable field, mm. you know, well, people just, want them values to be matched in their workplace. I mean, we spend yeah. eight to 12 hours a day there. You, you wouldn't want to well, be going yeah. against your values for half of your life. But they don't necessarily want to go out and work for, you know, an environmental cleanup society. Like they, they want to work at a jewelry story, studio or they want to work, you know, wherever they want to work. They want to work at a coffee shop or whatever. doesn't mean that they can't, their values can't be reflected. But I think that is are defined, you know, unless you want to go all the way. So, um, that was really exciting for me. Cause I, you know, I, I really like, I really like working with our people and I really like hearing what's important to them. And over the years I have found it is noticeable how people react. You're not, yeah. You're not having to educate them to get on board with the culture. They are part no. of that culture and they want to connect to you because of your culture too. Yeah. And when they're into it, they're, they're helping push our, our ideas forward as well. So they're coming in and saying, I learned about this really cool thing. Can we try this? And that's, that's awesome. You know, so that's really exciting. And I think that that is the way that we, we all get better is they do that in their work life. They take it home. They, you know, become a zero, um, you know, they become a zero waste home because we're a zero waste studio, you know, those things transfer and then their friends learn about that from them. So I think that that is really powerful and whatever we can do in our business to be, to be helping people understand how to do that and making them feel like they're making a, a choice and like have it making a difference even where they work, you know, when people think that all they can do is just recycle better that's, they, you know, they start to feel like, well, I'm already doing that. Mm, exactly. The human needs the next challenge. That's what yeah. we need. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so um, talk to me about the journey to becoming a zero waste studio. I can't imagine that'd be, uh, um, that would have been easy. Yeah. Well, we're not there. I mean, we're, we're, de- it's, we're, we're, we're getting pretty close. I mean, we, we recycle or uh, reclaim and we, you know, we, it's, it's kind of a, it's so many different things that we have to do to do that. We, you know, we of course just measure our garbage and we have all these different containers and we like make sure everything goes into the right spots. But then it's also a matter of when we get something from a supplier that they ship to us in a material that we can't recycle, we push it back to them, you know? So stuff like that, like we do have to constantly be looking at, and we run into these scenarios where we're like, we don't know what to do here. Like we have to throw this out. But I have to say, it's happening less and less. And Vancouver is a pretty good city for recycling things. We have a lot of um, options. We have we have a depot right across the street from the studio that takes a lot of things. Um, and we do. We have to pay for people to come pick up stuff sometimes. That's what it is. Rather than throw it away, we're going to do that. But I do feel good about, um, you know, we, we have... Um, we have things like don't bring styrofoam into the studio. Don't go out for lunch and take something in styrofoam and then just throw it in our garbage. Mm. Take it. You have to be responsible for getting rid of it. You know, 
and then think about it next time maybe bring your own container next time so you know we we try to you know have some patience we don't make the hard rules but we don't want to be responsible for it, right we don't we don't think it's necessary mm. and i, I so, mean such an easy thing to get your staff like you're able to do that with 30 people like a Imagine if like one of the big banks said, okay, guys, uh, everyone in this building, a couple of thousand people, uh, when you go to the food court, like uh, you're not allowed to bring any rubbish back here and uh, certainly nothing that can't be recycled or repurposed in some way. And styrofoam is completely banned from the building as are single-use coffee cups and water bottles. And like, imagine the change. Like if we just actually made it a part of every workplace's DNA to find that instantly unacceptable. Um, well, and if you just take the ease out of it, it's just like, once you make it kind of difficult, like I'm not saying you can't go and get something in styrofoam, but you have to take it home and throw it in your home garbage. That means you have to come in, wash it, put it in your knapsack, you know, take it home, throw it out in your home garbage. You probably aren't going to do that. You might just go to a different food place that doesn't use that, you know, and that makes change. All of a sudden that, that restaurant doesn't have that business anymore. They might want to rethink. hundred percent. I I totally resonate with your um, comment there on making it difficult. The way I stopped using single use coffee cups way back when now was uh, no, don't bring your cup. Don't get a coffee. And uh, <laughs> tell that to a person who really enjoys their morning coffee a couple of yeah. days in a row and she's remembering yeah. her cup quick smart. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Or if you want it, you have to stand there and drink it in the in the coffee shop. Yeah. Take that extra five minutes. Oh, oh my goodness. I don't know. What you going to do? Five minutes. <laughs> I don't know. What, what would you do? <laughs> Disclaimer, I like taking my coffee cup and go sit on a bench in the sun. That's That's why I always like to to take away because um, I want to find an open park space. But um, yeah, no, I think it's really interesting. The idea of actually purposefully making things a bit tougher so that we feel the inconvenience of doing the wrong thing finally, instead of the inconvenience of, um, of delayed gratification. And then things I, I've seen it in so many thousands of people in our community now who finally get a new habit in place because they just dialed up a little inconvenience around the old habit. And then you're just like, Oh God, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. I'll do anything to avoid that. (laughs) It's good. We can all support each other in the discomfort and then onto, onto a better place. Exactly. Um, so I wanted to ask you about, uh, things other than metals that you guys use and just some interesting stories around sourcing um, or maybe even heartbreaking stories. You know, there's so many in the jewellery business uh, and um, supply chain that you knew you wanted to take a stand against. Are there a couple of other materials that stand out that you use regularly that, uh, you know, that you'd like to share a little bit about that, uh, those supply decisions and, and um, the deeper reasoning and feeling for wanting to move, make sure you started right. Yeah, I mean, I none, not really get have a lot of those come to mind because I have to say, like we we do use other materials besides metal, but our line is predominantly sterling silver, you know, talismans. So I feel like, but I feel like we've done that purposefully as well. Yeah, because it is hard to manage a lot of materials and if you if we had so many materials we had to find sources for inevitably we would end up breaking down not be able to find something not be able to get it out we to in order to keep it clean we have to lean down what our offering is and i feel like we're all better for that because it's less stress when, you know, we've, we have had, um, we actually just had last season, maybe the season before we had a bit of an experience. We really wanted to do this particular um, talisman. We wanted to set it with a sapphire in the middle. And we had reached out to our trusted supplier and said, we want to do this sapphire. Can you give us this price? This is what we need to make the piece. And he said, no problem. I can do that. And we said, 
you know, make sure that it's a good source because we, you know, if that's important to us, it's not, it's not okay. Something got missed along the way. He gave us these stones that were, seemed very cheap and we made our price for our piece for the season, offered Mm -hmm. it, put it out there. And, and once they actually landed in the studio, we called them and said, are you sure these are sapphires? Cause they're very cheap. <laughs> and it, they were, but it turned out they were cut in China and he didn't know the factory. And it was, I, I had a long conversation with him and he said, I know it's not really something we would normally do. We couldn't get our regular supply and I'm really sorry. And blah, blah, blah. It was like a big story. And it was very upsetting because we'd already offered it at this price. And I said, if we want to get the good stuff, what's the difference? And it was 10 times the price for the good stone. And he just, so he couldn't meet us anywhere. We had to take a hit on the good stone because we weren't going to not, we had already put in the catalog. We couldn't not offer it. We had to raise the price and we had to explain to our retailers that this piece we said was going to be $300 is now going to be $500 and it's okay if you don't want it, but we're not going to, we're not going to number one, use the cheap material at a source we don't like. We're going to send those back and we're, we're also just not going to offer it and not, and not make any money on it because we're a business. So we have to raise the price on it. And if you don't want to buy it, that's totally fine. But we're not going to undercut ourselves and make this product and not, and not make it match with the rest of what we're offering because that just doesn't make sense for us. And we were happy that the retailers decided to just trust us on it and carry it anyway. And so that was a good lesson for us. We, we said, you know, when we really explained to them, here's the deal you wouldn't buy something and resell it and not make anything on it. Right. You know, like a retailer wouldn't do that. They would just decline to buy it. Well, we're not going to do that either, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to explain why we made a mistake. Mistakes get made and it was hard. It was really hard. And some people were kind of mad at us, but we, we were just really open with them and said, everybody, has miscommunications. We make, we make mistakes. We're not prepared to um, do it with this material that we don't feel proud of. Um, This is the way it's going to be. Yeah. And And I think we need to start making space for doing better imperfectly. You know, we need to start granting each other permission to stuff up every now and then that is the human experience. And Exactly. I feel like we shoot everybody down who takes one wrong step and yet we're not in the arena trying to take any steps ourselves half the time when we're criticising these other people. And it's so damaging to society to be going down this this lack of acceptance and this offence taken by every misstep of anyone and it just makes everyone freeze and be too scared to even try because you'll well, be torn and to admit down. when something just goes sideways and say, right? you know what? It didn't right. go the way we wanted it to go. And yeah. here's what we're gonna fix it. This is the truth. Like I that's could what do, we want. Spin some big yarn and you know. Yeah, it's what we want that for our teenagers. When we're parents, we want to be able to say, Hey dude, like I know you make mistakes. Doesn't mean I don't love you, but it does mean you need to own it and tell me what you're going to do to fix it. And let's, if you can't work that out on your own, let's figure that out together. Um, We do that in the parent child dynamic. And yet in society, we've stopped doing that for each other. And I think starting to do that again is going to be part of the healing process of all the division we see around us right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I feel like too, when we're willing to say, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, um, just make everything suffer because I really want this at all costs. You know, I'm going to do it the way I would have done it in the beginning and it's going to carry on the way it should. And we'll just have faith. And if it doesn't work out, then it won't, but I don't reason to do it differently from the way we do everything else in the collection, just because we kind of messed up this one thing. You know, it doesn't, it just leads, it, it would lead to more messes and more questions. And we just better to just 
own it in the beginning and say, this is something that happened, you know, but that was a good lesson for us because it is really complicated to find multiple um, items every season. If you want to do something new, you really need to, every time we add something, we have to think, is this really something that we want to add? Is this just something that we're getting caught up in? Like all of a sudden everybody wants X. No, do we really want to do that? I don't know. We don't necessarily have to. We can stick with what we know that we do well, what people like from us. And if we want to go out a little bit, we do something that's we really feel good about and we have a good source for. But if we get start getting distracted by a whole bunch of different things and we can't fulfill, we can't stay true to what we want to really put out there in the world, then we're being irresponsible, I think. And we're putting undue pressure on ourselves and on our staff, trying to find impossible things, you know, for what? To like offer something new, you know, like it's not, that's not really what we're about. We want meaningful, you know, we want something that people will really connect with. For us, it's about imagery. So. Well, you can we- definitely see that in your pieces, um, you know, you, you would either connect or not connect to certain pieces. Uh, and, and I think that's a huge part of choosing jewelry. Um, and I very rarely connect to jewelry, but when I do, it's just, it just becomes me. It's just a part of me until yeah. I, well, I lose sure, it yeah. or, you know, but huh. so yeah. I have, I have one more question, um, before we wrap up and it's one, I was looking at your um, website as I, as you know, our chat today was approaching and I was so excited to see, cause I remember vividly watching the movie wonder with my son last year. Oh yeah. And yeah, I, I loved Julia's necklace in like that oh, yeah. scene. I was like, Oh, that was so pretty. And then when, you know, just last week I'm looking at like, I'd love to be able to pick out a piece to talk to you about, um, in the interview and there it was and I was like yeah. no way yeah That's you guys pretty. so yeah. and even more beautiful uh than seeing Julia Roberts wear it was learning what that uh Latin phrase was and so I'll, I'll say it for everybody dum spiro spero which in Latin means while I breathe I hope uh, I couldn't think of a better necklace for 2020, to be honest. Oh my God, I know. <laughs> just it, everything just keeps becoming more and more relevant, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's really crazy. Yeah, yeah. Better. And so, I know. And that's I, an old, I've put that's this, an old saying. Yeah, and I've put this the picture in the show notes for everybody, um, so that you can see the. Uh, the imagery and it says so when you get one of your talismans or one of your pieces you have that little explanation and uh, eagles were messengers of the highest gods and symbols of mental strength and courage this talisman reads etc and i just think that's um how amazing to produce things that people can connect to on a deep energetic level and then it becomes a part of you every day when you wear it um yeah it's just, it goes beyond, oh, that's pretty. You know, it's like you ask people to think like, what do I feel pulled to right now? And what do I need to help make me feel empowered and strong and peaceful and hopeful? Um, Yeah. So, you know, I find, I, I feel like it's really a connector between people too. Like I, I don't know how many times I've been at, you know, the grocery store and someone has said to me, Oh, you're wearing Pura. I have <laughs> this piece and that piece. I'm going to get that piece. What's your piece say? And they're instantly yeah. my best friend. They don't know I'm the designer. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, sometimes I tell them and sometimes I don't. But it's it's just a really, it just seems to be like a shorthand, you know, between between people. And to, and to be able to say, like, this is, I wear this butterfly because this means this to me. It seems a little easier than saying what's actually, uh, you know, close to your heart. Just out of the blue with no connector. Yeah. It's just a nice facilitator, right? And mm. um, kind of like walking a dog in the park. Totally. <laughs> and everybody starts talking through their dogs because yeah. that's a yeah. facilitator. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for doing the work you do and uh, running the type of business that you run. I think it's always so wonderful to chat to 
business owners in the ethical space, those who've chosen the B Corp route and uh, all the challenges that come with that, but all the beauty that comes with that as we work towards a better world. So thank you so much, Danielle. And uh, I look forward to sharing this with our beautiful audience. Great. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at Life or one word, or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life. Uh, and of course, lowtoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a low-tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low-Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lowtoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see, join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.